SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. It's pretending to read a book. So smart, me. Enjoy books so much. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello, and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise. One film at a time. This time we're looking at The Suicide Squad, a sequel, a 2021 sequel to Suicide Squad. With me is Matt, or fuck, is Thrasher. (laughs) Why would somebody put penises all over the beach? And Alex. Uh, This isn't Alex, this is THE Alex. (laughs) Very good. And yeah, this this movie is, is one of the... A uh, handful that um, Warner Brothers has been using to uh, get people to sign up for their HBO Max streaming only service with movies being day and date uh, with the theatrical release for uh, for 30 days before going off HBO Max. And the, the box office for this new The Suicide Squad uh, has been pretty tepid, but a lot of that you can rightfully blame on the uh, the pandemic with the coronavirus and the the, for, the uh, current uh, Delta variant, all that fun stuff. Yeah, we're, the, I just we're just not going to have a major blockbuster success, I think, until this is uh, until the pandemic is wrapped up. Until Avatar. Um, uh, also, Delta yeah. variant doesn't that just sound like a bad Michael Crichton novel? It does. It does. And in <laughs> fact, there. Um, I, I don't know if it's still free on there, but Amazon put up one or two of Michael Crichton's early works that he did under a pen name when he was in med school that are these kind of uh, like crime sex thrillers that have names like the, the Viper Syndrome. And, oh, yeah. I'm sure they're incredibly misogynist, too. Um, I, I probably, just, yes. Like, I, I love I just I just love those kind of like bad names. The Rubicon Contingent. The yeah, Sigma that. Invective. The Katinting Katankton. Right. The Vector Syndrome. <laughs> oh, man. The vector. I, I, I could just see the doctor, you know, being like, Mr. President, we have something. COVID-19, worse. The Delta variant. <laughs> Get me Jack Ryan. And, the Epsilon Protocol. Yeah, yeah, I'm surprised we never got a feature film adaptation of The Hot Zone in the 90s, because that was a big book. You got, Wasn't that a TV show? No, oh, that was the burning zone. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, you had a lot of knockoffs of the idea of this. Like, I think it's a, is it a flesh eating virus or, or something? But that was kind of like uh, everywhere. Anyhow, neither here nor there. Suicide Squad. The These, Suicide me, Squad. Fuck, <laughs> I'm gonna mess this up this whole episode. Written and directed by James Gunn. So, I mean, how this came to be was a unique set of circumstances. James Gunn has been on Twitter on a while, and I think importantly uh, for the context of this discussion, he got his big start for Troma. Uh, for those that don't know, and we should be covering Troma movies on this show. I'm not sure why we haven't yet. We've, we've I have been about pitching it. the top I know, I know. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we'll do it in the 20th anniversary. No. Um, so, I mean, Troma is the longest-running independent film production um 
company in the United States. They also, uh, aside from producing stuff in house, they also do stuff, um, distribute things from from outside. Uh, perhaps most famously, Trey Parker and Matt Stone's uh, *Cannibal* the musical, which is a film they made in college on spring break, um, before they got famous with all the South Park money. And um, it, and their stuff is kind of like crude and gritty. *Toxic Avenger*, as, as Thrasher mentioned, is is their most popular thing. Um, notably out of the stuff they did, James Gunn wrote Tromeo and Juliet, which was a big hit for Troma. In fact, Troma is kind of following that up with a spiritual sequel called Troma's Shitstorm. Oh, Shakespeare's oh. Shitstorm, which Excuse is based me. on the Shakespeare's, Tempest. yeah, based on the Tempest um, that has had a lot of delays as everything else is these days. And and yeah, so he came from this kind of background and, and was making these smart-ass jokes uh, on Twitter that I, th- I thought some of them were funny, I thought some of them weren't, but then because the internet is like the boiling pile of hatred mm. that the internet is, it became this weird far-right campaign to get James Gunn thrown off of doing uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and it actually worked. He got fired as the director, and they were going to do his screenplay, which he already wrote, which Disney owned, uh, with another director. And James Gunn was in the pits, really depressed, and uh, he went to uh, Warner Brothers, and who said basically gave him a blank check to do whatever you want. And, and he did the Suicide Squad. But at the same time, all this was going on, Marvel or, uh, yeah, like Marvel, Disney got their act together and, and realized they were kind of overreacting based on the small amount of people complaining on the Internet and got him back to direct uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So it, it's an interesting tale, I think, of how that came to be. Um and would you call this like a reboot or a soft reboot? Because it has some of the same characters, but most of them are different. It feels rebooty, especially in the opening uh, opening scenes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I am willing to call this a straight up sequel, uh, even though like Rick, like Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller are really the only they're the only characters that cross over and stay throughout the whole through well through most of the film. Uh, I think since they do reference stuff that happened in both Birds of Prey and Suicide Squad, I guess, yeah, technically, I guess it's a sequel, yeah. Do they reference Birds of Prey? Because I remember Harley Quinn says she got picked up for, like, driving a stolen car in a bank thing, and that got referenced. Yeah, her specific words, I believe, are, I had road rage in a bank. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, I forgot to mention this last time, but, like, two of the actors in here that were in the first one... Uh, you have Joel Kinnaman as, as Flag, who has a pretty lead role here. We talked about him before, um, way back. He played RoboCop in that RoboCop um, right. remake. Oh yeah. yeah and he, was. he wasn't great in that, but I think in in this movie, he he really gives a, a pretty strong performance, even though it's the same character. It feels like a different character. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm glad you brought it up because I found him insufferably boring in um, the 2016 yes. Suicide Squad. And I was like, I don't like this guy. He sucks. I'm not sure about this Joel Kinnaman. I don't think he's a very good actor. And then when I saw him pop up in this more recent The Suicide Squad, I was like, he's back. Oh, here we go. And then I'm like, hey, I like him. I like this character. I like this dude. And it's, I think it really chalks up to uh, better writing, better direction. Sure. You also have uh, Jai Courtney, um, who we talked about. I can't recall if we did a direct episode of it, but in passing, I certainly mentioned Die Hard 5. He plays Bruce Willis's son, and mm-hmm. he also was in Terminator Genesis as uh, Kyle Reese. I think that's right, Thrasher. I, I think you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's he's Australian, and then he's back as Captain Boomerang. He, um, as we'll discuss, he doesn't have a lot to do here, but he has a lot of good, like I think, energy to him, and I like him as Captain Boomerang. Although I didn't like him in those other two um, sequels I just mentioned. I mean, I mean the cast here. Holy shit! You have like Peter Capaldi, Alice Braga, uh, Stallone does a voice role. Uh, Viola Davis comes back, and she's mean as fuck in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, Nathan yeah. Fillion. Well, mm-hmm. well, yeah, a lot, a lot of surprise actors who, who appear in this. Now, it's Brooker, funny. It's yeah. funny you you mentioned um, Amanda Waller being back and being mean. So, in the previous episode, we talked about how Amanda Waller is the antagonist. She is the villain of that movie, but the movie is not aware of it. <laughs> this movie is aware of the fact that Amanda Waller is the real villain. Yeah, yeah, and they're not they're not subtle about it. And I think what I appreciated. Uh, in this film, even though it takes place mainly on a, a fictional Latin American uh, island, the the commentary, uh, political commentary it makes, um, however slight, about the American government's role in uh, propping up puppet governments is actually fairly accurate if you yeah. go back and look in the 80s uh, what was going on. I mean, hell, it still, hap- it still happens today. The, the United yeah. States... Has a, a really shitty track record of of backing useful, brutal dictators for for various reasons. Sometimes because it pisses the Russians off. Sometimes because it allows us to hide certain assets. This is the the case uh, in this movie. And like like let's let's not forget uh, the United States government armed and backed Saddam Hussein for decades until it was no longer politically convenient. Until we started United's... backing the Taliban. <laughs> yes, I was going to say. That, that hey, too, remember, I mean. remember when that one, uh, hey, speaking of Stallone, remember how that one uh, Rambo movie ended with the brave, a salute yeah. to the brave men and women of the Taliban? Rambo yeah. 3, oh, yeah. yeah. It it also, that's become a bit of a meme. It's also um movie had the misfortune of being, it had the Russians as the bad guys uh, once again, just like uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2. I love that title. Uh, the second mm-hmm. Rambo movie had... Uh, and, and, but when it released in theaters, you already had the glass nost uh, thing coming down with the the wall. Uh, oh yes, coming down east west Germany. You know that that relationship kind of softening. So you have a movie in theaters where it's like the Russians are the bad guys, but in real life, it's like oh the Russians are, are reforming. They're they're kind of our friends, I guess. They have a and, pizza uh, now. Uh, yes, exactly. Pizza Hut, McDonald's, and all that. So. And neither here nor there. I mean, I think that James Gunn slipped that in. The political commentary in yeah. was. Um, pretty smart and and that it also kind of like it 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 caters to my fascination it's like that boys from brazil marathon man odessa file shit of nazis hiding out in south america i love that shit um i just from a historical standpoint and a a fucked up standpoint too because it actually happened i mean joseph mengele lived a long rich life as joseph mengele is the worst person in the world in south america um is that Amazon show with Al Pacino any good? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. I want to check it out. Nazi though. Hunters. Yeah, yeah. I know I, uh, uh, Jordan Peele is a producer on it. I, I've seen it. The highs are really high, but the lows are really low. And like the mm. I the cliffhanger, the cliffhanger ending all but guarantees I'm not going to watch a second season if it ever materializes. Right. Okay. It was just too I much. might still check it out because I like a juicy Pacino. Um, speaking of Juicy Pacino as the Suicide Squad, it's going to be one of those episodes. Um, <laughs> it, 
the beginning is, I think, a very funny fake out. I unfortunately had spoiled for me on Twitter, and that's my own fault. Oh. I should stay off Twitter when a movie comes out because yeah. even if you don't mean to, or or Reddit for that matter, you know, the internet is the land of spoilers. And if you go on the internet and then complain that someone spoiled something, you're just not. Um, I, in my opinion, man. that's kind of on you. Yeah, boo fucking who I say. Um, right. I I went in and I had no idea, and I was a little cynical at first because I a little part of me was kind of like this felt like uh, like the release of the Snyder Cut. It's like okay, they fucked up the first one. Let's yes. do it right time, you know. And it kind of felt I was like, this is, is this going to be fan service, you know? And it starts out like serious as hell, like you know we're doing this thing, and it brings back a lot of the dumb things from the first film, like we'll shave ten years off your sentence. And it gets all the team together, and they're walking in front of the big American flag and everything. It it, it totally had me. And then Weasel drowns. Yeah, because nobody <laughs> checked to see if the yes. weasel knew how to swim before they did the ocean drop. <laughs> weasel uh... drowns. And I called it. I was like, I think they're going to kill him. I, I said this exactly to my girlfriend. I was like, I think they're going to wipe this whole team out and start over <laughs> as like a fake out. <laughs> And in fact, and in fact, they do after this whole after this whole setup with this one Suicide Squad team, which includes a goddamn alien. Yeah, they all get to the shore of this like island nation, and then Blackguard, played by Pete uh, Peter Davidson, uh, Pete Davidson, hey friend of the show, Jason Jersey Jason, and I met him once. Um, oh yeah, really? No, I mean, there really story? is no story. He was oh. in he was in Columbus, Ohio, to do a stand up show between seasons on SNL, and we happened to be in Columbus, Ohio, for the Origins Game Fair, and that morning he went to the Game Fair because he just wanted something to do, and we just we I ran see. into him and said hi. Um, but hey, as far as I'm concerned, that makes you a friend of the show. But yeah, it turns out he sold out the team. But then, yeah, the whole team gets massacred, uh, all set to uh, the song. Uh, oh, let me find. I've got it pulled up. All set to the song "People Who Died" by the Jim Carroll yes. band. Who? That's a great song. It's a deep cut. That song. What my my friend Todd and I. That was our theme song in the mid '90s. Wow. I mean. I, I was not familiar with that song before this film, but I, I, it's still funny with the lyrics or it keeps on going with, of course, these are people who died, died. And as you see people getting shot down, I think you have a few people survive from this initial camp, though, right? Isn't Harley Quinn? Um, well, yeah, well, yeah, Harley like the, the team doesn't just die. They get massacred in such refreshingly <laughs> yes, boring it, exactly. ways. Uh, but yeah. Pete Davidson is trying to sell them under and, and he <laughs> I think. But it turns out funny, that's all part like, of the plan. Right, he really stupidly like goes out and is like, "Hey guys, come on, I'm safe. You don't kill me, kill the other." And I just all contacted you. Killed. Uh, but yeah, like for... like J javelin, javelin survives just long enough to hand his javelin to Harley Quinn and bleed out. And I love his whole thing. You must carry the javelin for, and then he just dies, and she never learns what this <laughs> passing of the torch is really about. Um, the the weasel turns out didn't die, but we don't find that out until like a post credit later, sequence. Yeah. I also um, think right. it's funny, the, 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 the detachable uh, kid, right? Yeah. It's like <laughs> Stooges bits yeah. on, on the soldiers, like, poking their eyes and, like, <laughs> like gently slapping them on the head and stuff. <laughs> like, he's a minor, he's, like, a, a subtle bother to them at best. And it's just so funny because it's, like, and then it also buys into a lot of, like, the superhero cliches, like, grabbing the helicopter and, like, screaming as it, like, tilts down and stuff oh, like that. Well, yeah, because it turns out grabbing a helicopter is a terrible idea. Yeah, it's a terrible <laughs> idea. They're very, very volatile machines. Yes. Uh, 
perfectly it, it, balanced. It, it doesn't like it doesn't cheap out on it. Like this is a balls out like fucking action sequence too. I love it. Rated R, super gory, unlike yeah. the the last one. Um, well, the this language I, love is- I don't recall being too harsh, but. I also love that the, the little parakeet gets the last laugh on uh, on Michael Rooker's character after he gets his head blown off. Yeah, Michael Rooker is the savant, and when he's introduced to the Folsom Prison Blues by Johnny Cass, which is such a nose thumb at the needle drops of the first movie, oh, yeah, yeah, he kills this little this little chickadee, and then after Amanda Waller blows up the bomb in his neck, a little chickadee comes down and starts <laughs> feeding on his floating corpse. And then his blood in the water turns into Warner Brothers Pictures Presents. Yes. And that's the thing throughout this film, whether it's the blood of a character or it's, uh, thank you, um, Kitty Cats having a war while I'm recording the podcast. That's quite thoughtful. Um, I mean, yeah, just James Gunn seems to be having a lot of fun with this movie having this big of a budget, uh, allegedly $185 million according to Box Office Mojo, which of course Damn. never counts uh, marketing which can be the same or if not more um, than the budget, well, times more. Um, you have, it, it almost feels like he's taking out the frustration of not being able to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3 on this and hasn't really had an R rating to have uh, in his movies uh, in a while. Or if he did, they're on these sort of really low micro-budget um, indie uh, dark comedies. He yeah. he. he did, right? So yeah. Oh, yeah, like, lo- like Lolly Love. Uh, this this mm. is... This, which is which is which is actually a, a, it's a great dark comedy about a rich couple who decide to fight homelessness by starting a charity that gives lollipops to homeless people. It's all about them being completely what? clueless about the problem they're trying to solve. It's hilarious. But it's funny. Yeah. yeah, I think Jenna Fisher uh, is also is a big part of that movie. But yeah, I mean this this is this is James Gunn really bringing a trauma approach to this film. And I I I gotta say, like I love the gore. So many of these superhero yes. movies, the, the heroes and villains are engaged in such violence, but it's so bloodless. And this is a movie where you will you will see a person get ripped in half, and you will see their organs fall out. Like this is a movie that reminds you again and again. There are certain like these powers and abilities only have lethal applications, and right. you will see people pay the price for these superpowers again and, and again. It is much more much more affecting to when each bullet is hitting a human person and not just some fucking stupid smoke monster. You know what I mean? And not some right. faceless the army of of fucking dopey minions you know like these are people and violence as consequences and that's an important thing for people to know so we don't have disassociative stuff yeah and so after we find out after killing off almost this entire team we discover there was a second team and this first team (laughs) was just a distraction who were sent on a literal suicide mission to distract the local armed forces so that the main, the actual smaller team could get into the island unmolested. And also, like, the symbolic value that this Suicide Squad is is literally the B team of the Suicide yes. Squad. Like, this is literally the B team. I love right. it. Right. And I didn't think about this until we, we just have been talking about it these past uh, few minutes. But I, it's almost like killing off that first team is a middle finger to the first movie because oh, a lot of it kind of takes cues from the first film with some of the obvious music drops and how it, it, it doesn't like take a second to breathe between scenes. And when the real movie starts with, with the B team, as he said, it, it, it kind of calms down. But at the same time, it has this um, kind of trauma, fearlessness, 
but also it's not afraid of getting gross. And if I was to do a double feature of the Suicide Squad or something else, I'd probably team it with uh, Troma's War, which oh. is a hyper gory uh, late 80s, I believe, or if not, maybe early 90s Trump film that they filmed in an army base. Uh, only because they had a fake version of the script that they gave to the military people saying what it was about. And then they really filmed the movie that was more like a anti-military satire. That, that is a tactic that Troma has employed multiple times. And in yep. fact, James, James Gunn has a story about how he had to write a, I believe it was, he wrote a fake script for Toxic Avenger 4 to show to a local film commission <laughs> for a town that they wanted to film in so that they could get their permits. But yeah, and... And, and it 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 all shows. This is just such a delightfully balls out, gory, messed up film that then ironically gives all the characters more arcs and more humanity than the previous one. Although I am shocked Captain Boomerang died. I figured at least he would show up. He would show up later. But no, no, I, Captain Boomerang is actually, very dead. I was actually kind of glad when that happened. I didn't like his character very much in the 2016 film, so I was kind of like, yes, he's dead. Um, a little 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 mean to me, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Oh, and another thing we talked about, uh, I talked about previous episode, is that is that DC and Warner Brothers are, the and the filmmakers are embarrassed by the source material. James Gunn is not. James Gunn yes. clearly has an affection for the source material, which is in part why he brought in some of the goofiest characters, like Polka Dot Man, and like, yes. uh, like Peacemaker, and let them kind of, and, and just sort of let them look like they jumped off the page. You know? And in fact, yeah. Peacemaker, played by uh, WWE wrestler John Cena. Is oh, is he played by Cena? Yeah. What? That's a, that's a joke about his, his oh, old okay. catchphrase. Uh-huh. Um, he, sorry, I don't watch much wrestling. Um, he, uh, you know, James Gunn fell in love with the character so much, he wrote and directed a, uh, standalone kind of like HBO direct to HBO Max series just about Peacemaker that I think is a prequel um, potentially uh, although the, the post-credits the post credits. imply that it's a sequel but who knows it, it, yeah but I mean I think that's kind of a cool of course they want as many tie-in things as possible with Suicide Squad but I think that's kind of a cool thing and John Cena as an actor ha- has really improved a lot he's very very good in that Transformers movie Bumblebee and I almost hate myself for saying that sentence <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, you have King Shark has become a cult uh, meme character for for a few years now, and he's appeared on some of the the DC comics uh, live action TV shows, yeah, like Supergirl, I think. A few times. Or, or is it Flash? Yeah. And, and in this version, he is voiced by Sylvester Stallone, who James Gunn worked with in Guardians of the Galaxy two, and. I didn't realize it was Stallone when the first trailer came out because usually yeah. Stallone doesn't do a voice. I and it, um, and some places pointed out it's almost like a satire of Rocky Balboa because in the in the first Rocky movie or even in Rocky Five when he's brain damaged as we've discussed on here previously, check out the past episodes of SequelCastU.com. Uh, you see that the Rocky character is kind of dumb, goofy Rocky at points, and <laughs> that's kind of the energy he brings to King Shark. And he's oh, like, yeah. book, and he's reading it upside down. Like, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but I'll give Stallone credit. Like, he nails these line readings. And I think he should probably do comedy. He should give comedy another shot, uh, despite doing things like um, Oscar. Rhinestone yeah. and uh, and stuff like that um, well, several like, decades ago. 
one is like King Shark is pretty well animated, but two, Solo, Stallone does know how to play a lovable dope. I mean, that is yes. his real strength. Yeah. He has that he only really gets to showcase in the Rocky movie, so it's great seeing him showcase it here with King Shark. I, I, I would say the only other thing <laughs> I, I can recall of his career that I've seen where he does that is um, there's a, a pretty good John Landis film called Oscar. That's a remake of a French yes. film where Stallone is a gangster, and there's a lot of great... Um, uh, scenes between Sylvester Stallone and friend of the show Tim Curry, where Tim Curry is the elocutionist trying to teach Stallone how to teach proper, <laughs> speak proper English when he's in this very super uh, stereotypical Italian gangster family. And it's if you haven't seen Oscar, I, I would highly recommend it. It's not the best like mafia comedy in the world, but it, it stands up there. It's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. I like the like like you said the right off the page, and that's what I think that works is that it's not this like over elaborate makeup for um, King Shark. He looks like a shark with arms and legs and little cut up jean shorts for <laughs> for anatomical reasons, which I think is a great touch. And the same thing like uh, with with Peacemaker, you know, he looks a little he looks a little goofy as well as he should. And I I love how John Cena plays him. He's kind of like. If like Captain America was like this hulking Roman centurion, you know what I mean? Like yes. he's yeah. a bit of a brute. He's a blunt instrument, you know. Well, I I believe that was like the the direction he was given. He's a hyper violent broy Captain America. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the it, question he asked, "You're so stupid." And and the way it's directed, there's even pauses where the characters pause between lines for the laughs. <laughs> like, did he just say that? And when they talk about you know the um the the big alien villain looks like a starfish or right and they go like yeah. so is it like a chocolate starfish which is slain for an asshole or like it's yeah it's he's like I'm same, writing this down really obvious way. right it's same things the audience might be thinking if they're like 12 right <laughs> <laughs> but it works it works it's hilarious. Um, so thrasher you're like the big comic book guy among us um out of all these characters in the main b team that the film focuses on What's one that jumps out to you as being? It doesn't have to be faithful necessarily, but just a performance you thought was was inspired. Well, okay, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad you uh, brought that up. So we've got. Uh, let me uh, make sure I'm getting the actor's name right here. We have uh, we have uh, David Dutch. Was it is it Dash Malkane? Sure, I have no I, idea. I, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, but yeah, he plays Abner Krill, a.k.a. the Polka Dot Man. <clears throat> I want to bring this character up particularly because it's, it's a real highlight of the film for me. So, one, like, the, po po the Polka Dot Man is a Batman villain that no one cares about. Like, <laughs> like if you, this is the true, most bottom-of-the-barrel kind of character you could, the type of character who you would never put in a movie, not even on a bet. So I'm glad that like, James Gunn dug that deep. But also, like, he has some of the he like he has one of the like most human sort of stories and motivations and his and uh, so in the comics the polka dot man is a super is a, is a super thief who wears a costume covered in polka dots but in the comics he can pull the polka dots off and each polka dot is a different gadget so some are homing beacons some are explosives some will pop out and turn into shurikens um they dropped the gadgeteer angle in this movie and i kind of like like the way they they made it work so in this movie he is infected with a virus from another dimension that causes him to release polka dots that just melt through organic material um and so it's just a no, it's a horrible grotesque lethal power but his whole origin story in the movie is that um, 
his mother worked at Star Labs and somehow got it into her heads that she wanted all of her kids to be superheroes. So she started performing medical experiments on her own kids. And he was the only one to survive. And he got this destructive power. And so he used it to kill his mother. And so his anger at his mother, but also his guilt for killing it, his mother, haunts him and we keep getting these scenes from his perspective where he sees his mother's face on everybody and it leads to some of the most memorable shots in the film. But but it also, there's so much pathos to the character and of all the members of the Suicide Squad, I think he is suicidal. Like so much of his dialogue is based yeah. on, I hope we don't live. I hope we die in this mission. I would, I so, like, he doesn't want to get through. But then like, he, by the end of the movie, he has discovered a purpose. He has become a true superhero, and he loves that. And he loves that about himself. And then he dies. <laughs> so he gets what he wanted in, from at the beginning of the film, even though it's no longer what he wanted at the end. But he dies happy, which which is, if you're going to die, you might as well die happy. Exactly. It's one of those things where it's that right level of, of cynical humor that a film like this needs to be successful. And also... I think one of the another great great bit of um, ironic humor is that when the Suicide Squad is at their most lethal and successful is when they're killing innocent people when they wipe, come in and wipe out the militia camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they are like expertly doing it too. Like that, they that was just a really ass. good. Yeah, I, I agree, Alex. That was a great twist. And uh, David Dest Melchin's uh, portrayal is pulp. Up, man, he actually really digs deep. Uh, I felt for for the acting of that part and brings some some pathos on the character's uh, sort of nihilism or perhaps a, a prone to to self harm. And, and an it reminds me a lot. Too. Yes, there's a sincerity to it. It reminds me a bit of Griffin Newman's performance as uh, Arthur in the Amazon Tick series. Yeah, yes. there there's they're coming from a similar sort of nebbishy hero place. Yeah, like, you but, but yeah, with that attention. with that emotion, with that heart to it, it's not just a joke, and I I, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. He um, and also, like you said, like uh, in terms of like right, the characters look right off the page. Like when you actually see the polka dots going out, they look like tiddlywinks just flying through the air. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's really nothing to them, and that's what makes it brilliant. Is that like they literally just look like transparent pieces of plastic, like that you get at the dollar store. But even when like they're they're kind of growing like a cancer tumors or something underneath his face and they're glowing like it's, it looks kind of cheesy and I have to think that was done on purpose. And the same thing with a uh, thinker like it, it looks like he just has little like freaking yes. lights sticking out of his head and I think that's like the level and even like the kaiju the starfish thing looks like a cartoonish thing and that's the thing is that this is still a comic book movie so it should still be kind of colorful and fun. And that's like well, a huge. The, the action scenes, so much of this film is in the daylight as compared Thank to God. the first yeah. Suicide Squad movie, which is in the nighttime, really. Uh, well, all uh, the DC dark. movies, frankly. Oh, well, sure, yeah. Dark, gritty. Uh, it's A lot of the other ones are edited in such a way you can't tell the geography, what the hell is happening. And here is James Gunn's um, directing style. There's not like any super fancy camera moves, but at least you can tell what's going on. And he doesn't like. Uh, edit fuck it to death like yeah, uh, well, michael other, bay or something right and the other thing too is that after the batman films and like the trailer for the more recent Battenson movie and all these other mm. 
big action flicks, they're just so abrasively, intentionally, self-consciously dark at night, and they have no color. This is a colorful movie. I like looking at this film. Yeah. It is, it's lively, it's engaging, and there are fucking colors into it. This is a visual medium. Colors matter. Everything can't be mm-hmm. black rain, cityscape, hell, metropolis shit. You know, it's just, the shit's been done to death, so it's just such a breath of fresh air to see a colorful film. Also, we're kind of disjointed because this film has some fun little, like, non-linear moments in it, so that that's kind of leading to this sort of disjointed recap slash review. There's one thing, there is a, a, Harley Quinn gets an amazing arc where she... She gets captured, you know, she survives that that initial assault, even though she's on the team that's supposed to die. She gets captured by the revolution, the guard of the revolutionary government that's taken over uh, this island. Uh, but then they give her a princess makeover and she's brought to, to the, 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 the new president. And basically, like, they have a whirlwind romance because, you know, you know, you you are the symbol of, you know, a, a challenge to American power. That's why the people here love you. So I love that she has super fans on this island, apparently. And that's oh, totally. a ploy. And, yeah, they have a whirlwind romance. They go on a date. They have sex. And they make it absolutely clear they did some fucking. Uh, and yep. finally, like, you know, he proposed. And they have this wonderfully destructive sex scene where all these art treasures are destroyed. <laughs> yeah. But finally, you know, he finally says, you know, you know, I, I would marry you to appease the people, but I want to marry you as a, a, a woman. So, like, I'm asking you romantically, will you marry me? And she talks about being all flattered. And then she shoots him through the heart with a pistol and gives this great little talk about how, you know, after my last breakup, I promised myself I was going to look out for red flags in a relationship this time. Mm. And you're giving me a lot of red flags. So I promised myself <laughs> yeah. I would do the sensible thing and shoot the man and leave. <laughs> yeah, kill, yeah. And she's like, killing children this is a bit of a red flag. And I think that's also like kind of a great thing too, because it's like, once he starts giving that speech is right when I started to get bored. I'm like, okay, another, another, you know, uh, super villain musing about how evil they are as he fucking sips brandy and looks out a window. We are the same, right? you and I. Yeah, right yeah. when we get to that point, boom. He's shot. He's dead. I'm like, it's like you shot my boredom. Thank you, Harley Quinn. Yeah, and, and also, and, well, it's great because it's real development for the character. Like, she is no longer the Joker's girlfriend. She exactly. is, you know, we've as we've seen from from Birds of Prey, she is now her mm-hmm. own woman, and like now she's trying to make better, though still murderous, relationship choices. And then that's also the preamble to one of the best action scenes where she just goes slaughtering the royal guard escaping from the palace and it turns and like animated birds start following her and yeah. she sees colorful flowers every time mixed with the blood every time she kills someone which makes me wonder is this what she sees all the time yeah I it's see... like a demented disney film it's great right i kind of gave that explanation to uh my wife when we were watching the, the movie and she's like well the other films didn't do that and i'm like that's true i'm just making an assumption but it uh, again, like the color just looks um, extraordinary in that sequence. And whether it's what she sees or not, or if it's just a, uh, it also clearly that sequence takes uh, inspiration from, I can't remember the name of the movie. What's the, what's the um, Asian movie where the guy's in a prison for like 10 years and he fights people in the oh, hallway. Boy. Yeah. Old boy. It reminds me a bit. Where he's like whipping up an unbroken uh, hallway shot. 
Yeah. Except with these surrealistic elements. It was kind of like how I, one of my things, uh, one of the things I said about Birds of Prey that um, it, it kind of reminds me here is that it feels like I'm watching like a multi-million dollar Takashi Miike movie. Yeah, yeah, I can, <laughs> like, yeah, like, sure. all, like blood and guts, but with this you like see the killer. Know, yeah, 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 blood and guts, but with this like, I guess like childish glee to it, which makes it so much more fun to watch because again, you're coming. It's I would imagine, like you said, it's partially from Harley Quinn's point of view. Maybe this is what she sees all the time, or maybe it's just that that point in the character's ascension. But mm-hmm. it's also it's giving the character agency because I feel like with the uh, 2016 Suicide Squad, you're kind of they're kind of going for this like I guess like appropriated like bullshit girl power thing they're going for, and it doesn't work because she's just arm candy to Joker, you know what I mean? And this, she's actually, again, given more agency, is taking initiative and in, in being her own character, which is so much more refreshing than all the bullshit that we saw before in 2016. Oh, and another, so another thing, just to put this in contrast to the original film, so th- there's a whole, there's a whole bit where they, they put on tourist disguises and go to this nightclub, because it's a nightclub <laughs> where the thinker likes to hang out after hours and that's where they're going to intercept him and like unlike the previous film uh they don't discuss backstories we get to see them all loosen up and have fun which i don't need the backstories right exactly well well, just i I like backstories but you had like 10 in a row in uh the original suicide squad Mm -hmm. film and like for what these characters a lot of them die at the end uh hence the name suicide squad right some of them don't but it's like, aside from making some like smart ass jokes and putting as many uh, pin drop music drops as you can, like we don't need to know that information. We've seen like Batman uh, to give like the worst example. We've seen Batman's origins like six times in eight movies. Those fucking pearls in the fucking opera house. Oh, <laughs> oh so, over, over. But like, can that's kind of the standard of the scene? We we learn more about the characters and we appreciate and see more of their humanity just seeing them learn to have a good time together than we do with them telling their 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 sob stories. Yes, including polka dot yep. men dancing with all these hot women who all all have his <laughs> mother's face. Like mother's face, like, yeah. <laughs> Two things that, that jump out. One of the dancers at the club is Palm uh, Clementif, who plays Mantis in the Guardians of the Galaxy, who's apparently friends with James Gunn. Do you know who one of the other dancers in the nightclub is? Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd Kaufman, Uncle Lloyd Ooh. himself. That's have, I, have I told my Lloyd Kaufman story on here? I bet you have, but it's probably been a while. Okay. Okay, so I might as well tell it again. Like, I, I, but I would have done that anyway, I suppose. Uh, so I, I was at Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia. I'd love to go to that convention again. I think it's one of the best ones I've been to on the East Coast. Takes over two hotels, just super, super big uh, for the Southeast at least. And um, I was just walking from the, the kind of they have several bridges from one hotel to the other, and uh, I I just saw Lloyd Kaufman and I I, I shook his hand and said, Hey, Lloyd, and uh, kind of just said oh you, you gave me a lot of entertaining uh hours watching your films growing up in my youth he said oh thank you very much I mean, he's super polite he's always in a suit and then out of the corner of my eye this random guy runs up with this uh dvd of his movie uh, his indie film some like zombie movie and tries to hand it to lloyd directly and, and lloyd was super polite and cool about it he's like 
this, you know, this is great. I admire your ambition. Please, you know, just submit films to us through the website and our staff will see if we want to distribute it. And just his uh, insane politeness, um, seeing that up front, like maybe 10 feet from me, I thought it was really inspiring because I, I've been to a lot of comic conventions and a lot of people are just rude or don't want to be there, uh, whether it's an actor or writer or director or, or whatever. But just to see Lloyd Kaufman look everyone in the eye and talk to them directly. And he's a, he's a very good public speaker. Um, I he's thought this was really cool like, to see. I, yes. I, yeah. I, I just, I like, I, I gave a, uh, like I, he, when I purchased, I purchased a copy of tales from the crapper from him and he just, without a thought, <laughs> yeah. just signed it. And it's like, Hey, uh, Thrasher, your movies will be better than Troma's. Love, Uncle uh, Boy. That's <laughs> so great. Yeah, no, he's he's a cool guy, and he knows you have to hustle to get people to see your stuff. Um, nowadays, more than ever, I imagine. So, and also, uh, James Gunn had Lloyd as a cameo in the first Guardians of the Galaxy in the prison. Yeah, he's one of the prison inmates. Yep, it's a extreme close-up he gets, and. Uh, I, I don't think when I saw it in the theater, people cheered, but I imagine at certain screenings, people might. I did. For, for those who know. I, I did, too, in the inside. Um, so, yeah, as we go on with this film, I mean, the film, I, I like that it's not plot-heavy, and you you get it real creepy. It's kind of a zombie theme going on with the uh, possession of uh, the, the big starfish spits out the little starfish that, uh, like the um, facehugger and alien goes in the guy's face and kind yeah, it's of, a little body snatchery too yeah I like it's just like the comics i mean that that is starro's is mo okay. in the comics cool. he dashes yeah. little starfish to you and takes you over it, yeah. and, and you have to praise starro's uh color palette because it's that goofy ass 70s <laughs> uh pastel look like they didn't try to make it look all black with silver trim or whatever yeah. you might expect these things look like the comics and they look bold and wacky with, with the colors, as we were saying earlier. And well, he's like, another character kind of a, that was created in yeah. 1960 as a villain uh, for the Justice League. 60, no excuse me. Wow. How about that? And um, what do you think about Ratcatcher 2, uh, played by Daniela uh, Melchior? I, I overall, I enjoyed her. I loved her relationship with her rats, and I love how she keeps trying to, in a good-natured way, get uh, get Bloodsport to uh, play by the immortal Idris Elba to, to get yes. him to sort of get over his rat phobia. So I love I love that he has a phobia of the exact thing her superpower is, because uh, <laughs> she can control the she can control the rats, and and I also just love her her whole like it's not I guess it's not an affectation, but that whole character trait where she she can never get enough sleep. Yeah, exactly. That was so endearing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and do you did you recognize who played her father in the brief flashbacks? Uh, Tico Bottini. Yeah. That's that's right. And um, if our listeners who might not know, he he's a, he's an actor uh, sometimes, but he's more a director um, in doing things for uh, film and, and TV, like the great film and, and television show What We Do in the Shadows. Wrote and directed Thor you know. Ragnarok. Uh, yes, that too, and he's also doing Thor Love and Thunder, I think, the fourth one, with um, Natalie Portman having more of a central part. But yes. the whole reason he was, he was able oh, to do this Oh, I take that back. Film, he directed he was, it. He did not write it. That was my mistake. Okay. Uh, um, um, so, with 
his part in this film, he originally was going to wanted to go for one of the bigger parts because he's friends with James Gunn. And at the time, he was developing uh, Akira as a live-action film, which they've been trying to do in Hollywood for a while. And Taika Waititi, uh, to his credit, I give him props to this, he wanted to cast it with mainly unknown Japanese actors playing most of the leads. And I think you maybe would have some stars for the supporting parts, like the general and so forth. And have it based more in the manga is um, maybe 2,000 pages long or, or something along those lines and is quite... Uh, um, has a richer world, I guess I'll say that much, than, than the uh, the classic uh, iconic anime uh, it, feature. It is both voluminous and dense. Mm. Uh, yes. It, it, yeah, in every sense of the word, totally. And because of that, Warner Brothers said, oh, we wanted white people, we wanted, you know, star names, and, and he dropped out, so he was able to play this small part at the last second of The Father of Rat Capture. He doesn't have much to do, but I think it's, it, it's cool to see him in here. And uh, yeah, yeah, as brief as the part are. And Ratcatcher has a lot more to do later in the film, but I love a scene early on when King Shark almost, like, eats her. Fans of video games, history, or video game history, will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Oh, Sarah, you're just... I think your apartment is haunted. <laughs> I think you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you can find out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Oh yeah, he's just picked her up, and then, and then right. she has the whole thing. You would need a friend, would you? No, me no have friends. Well, how about I be your friend? Okay, friend. And then they're just best <laughs> friends for the rest of the movie. And it. it pays off later with King Shark in this really creepy scene where he's staring at this... Uh, aquarium of all these weird oh the animal jellyfish yeah that oh, of course right. turned to have yeah. teeth and it almost feels like a scene was cut from that i almost wish he would have had like you friend i blood or i don't know like it feels like they could have done more with the payoff of them looking cute with them with the sharp teeth we've seen that gag a million times well, it was yeah. just so enchanting, though, because they kind of let it sit, and you got that nice yes. protracted scene yep. of King Shark playing with the jellyfish, and they're, like, mimicking each other's movements, and he's having so much fun. And so it's heartbreaking when the aquarium breaks, and then they start latching onto him and trying to eat him. <laughs> you feel bad for him. Yeah, those are his new dumb friends. Yeah, in, in fact, in some of the, uh, the comic book uh, iterations of King Shark, his only dialogue is King and Shark. But that would have been a little bit too much like Groot. I'm glad the Asian yeah, didn't really do. In fact, in fact, in like the um, is it the Harley Quinn cartoon or one of the more recent? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, Thrasher? They have like a cartoon with. Yeah, that is the Harley Quinn series. It's just called Harley Quinn. Yeah, they they took a thing I think that was introduced in the comics where King Shark actually has a romantic past with a Constantine. That's right, the same Constantine oh, yeah. that Keanu Reeves played in the one film and. Uh, I think the TV show actually is pretty good. They only had one season ah. a, few, a, a few years ago. But he did but, he did join the cast of a Legends of Tomorrow. So there's a lot of Constantine action if you like the character. 
Oh, the same actor did? I didn't know yes. that. It, yeah, cool. they they continue the role. They did like one crossover, and then they just decided, fuck it, he's on he's on the crew of the time machine now. How about that? I mean, we're playing all over the place, but so does this movie. Like, it's not really yeah. plot heavy. A lot of it, their their mission is just to destroy that building because it has all these government secrets that they want nobody to find. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other wonderful thing. Their, their mission, there's nothing heroic about their mission. They are there to engage in a cover-up of some of the U.S.'s dirty laundry, which I absolutely love. And I love that they even, they even like, the team tears itself apart about whether they're going to expose the secrets of the base mm-hmm. or keep them hidden. And that's when Peacemaker betrays the team. And it's dramatically like, like you suddenly are scared of him at that moment, which I think was a, a nice turn. And what I yeah. absolutely love is that in the, in the end, they are still in it for themselves because they use the leverage that the intelligence they've stolen gives them to get their neck bombs deactivated, to get their pardons and to go free. Right. So they are still villains at the end of the movie, despite the fact that they did save the world by defeating Starro. And the, them defeating Starro, it's great because, like, they just flat out say it's a kaiju, which is true. And even the noise yeah. he makes sounds like it's right out of yeah. a Toho movie. It's like oh, totally. half Angiris, half King Ghidorah is sort of the sound. And just like the way he dies is so beautifully horrible where Harley like javelins through his eye and the rats swim in through the eye wound and eat him Start to death. away the retinas and shit. Yeah. And oh, they kill awesome. all those innocent people that have been possessed by Starro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, I mean, yeah. the rat catcher stuff, with, especially with you were mentioning the rats crawling into the eye at the end and, and kind of eating it from the inside out. Gave me a real Tim Burton vibe, and I can't quite put my finger on why, but it might have been like the music they had in the background was kind of this uh, love heavy sort of stuff. I don't it's know. It's the whimsical grotesquerie. I think that's, that's it. Is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I also, I not just like the, the soundtrack, but I actually like the score of this film. You mm-hmm. know, like the actual, you know, the, the, the score composed for the movie is actually quite good and effective, like you said. It's got this whimsical grotesqueness to it. And this, like, really kind of, like, gross feeling. And it's kind of cool because it's an inversion of, like, you don't associate mammalian creatures like like a rat to have this kind of, like, parasitic feel. And it's kind of an inver- inversion of that because, like, you have rodents infiltrating this, uh, like, you know, amphibious, you know, kaiju monster and kind of, like, doing this, like, bacterial, like, in- infiltration of their body. It's almost like a body horror thing, you know, them gnawing away at the at the veins and tendons behind the eye. And you have to understand, you have to like feel like that's got to be a painful way to go. Yeah, the composer well, yeah. is, uh, is uh, John Murphy, for those who are, are wondering, and he's done scores, uh, worked a few times with actors like Guy Ritchie on movies like Snatch, uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and also did works on uh, Danny Boyle films like 28 Days Later and uh, Sunshine. So And Michael Mann's Miami Vice. And 2010's Kick-Ass, and this is the first oh, nice. time he's done a film score in uh, over a decade. So, Oh, so some, something I, I do want to praise this movie for, and one is sort of an issue of pacing. So in the first film, it really is just arbitrary that that's the Enchantress wants to unleash an apocalyptic event and that the whole world is at right. stake. In this movie, the whole world is at stake by the end. But it builds to that point. Like, it, it truly is an escalation. And the world is also at stake because the the the, the Suicide Squad does kind of release Starro when they really didn't have to. Um, so yeah, they're kind of responsible I love, for it, which I like. Yeah. I, also, I, I love the scene. 
Go on. Uh, defeating Starro isn't their assignment. Because uh, exactly. Waller's like, you don't have to. Like, your mission's done. It's just, you know, and this is a very haughty uh, attitude you'd probably expect from a United States government official. They're just like, it's just a third world country no one gives a shit about. We're out of there. We don't really care anymore because all our shit's destroyed. So, <laughs> you know, so that's what make that's kind of give what gives them their heart and, like, moral qualifier. It, but, like you said, by the end, it also keeps them in the kind of, like, the villain territory when they keep the footage for their own selfish gain. Well, the, and that's the other thing. It's like, it's not a big blue sky laser. This is this yes. is a threat. A giant monster like this is a threat that we have not seen done in, in a comic book movie or superhero movie up to this point. And it's defeated in, in, in a completely original way. An army of rats eats it to death from the inside out. Like no other, it will. Ne- it's never happened before, and it will never happen again. Yeah, we haven't exactly. talked a- about him yet, but we, we should before we um kind of wrap up our thoughts on this film. I can't believe it's been an hour talking about this one, but that's what happens when it's a movie. I, I presumably everyone likes uh, the uh, part of uh, Idris Elba, who plays yeah. Bloodsport. Allegedly, originally it was scripted to be Deadshot, replacing Will Smith's character, but then Will right. Smith. Uh, it, until actually like fairly recently was supposed to be back in this film and, and, and couldn't do it because a lot of directors changed hands and so forth. And there were scheduling conflicts, which is a classic excuse. Sometimes it means scheduling conflicts. Sometimes it just means the, the actor didn't want to do it. So they just changed who it was. But I mean, it, it is quite similar with the stuff with the daughter to oh, yeah. uh, the, the film we talked, which is the Suicide Squad from 2016. Well, also just love that, you know, you're not upset with me because I stole a watch. You're upset with me because I got caught. He's telling her how to not get caught while engaging in shoplifting. Yeah, have a lookout. Yeah. And Andrew's is a more working class accent, a British accent, which is closer to his real voice, which I think is is, is neat. Yeah, just let him be British, okay? Like, exactly. it's so much better than, you know, trying to wrestle up a stupid fake accent. Yeah, just let the dude be British. It works perfectly fine. And I so, think it's funny because... Oh, sorry. Well, well, just the other thing is that they do they do even thumb their nose at the fact that he is so similar to to Deadshot <laughs> because like they explain his origin story like he's a uh, he's an assassin. Anything in his hands is a deadly weapon. His father was a soldier who taught him how to kill from the moment he was born. But then that's also Deadshot's origin. But also when Peacemaker is introduced, he's an assassin. Yes. Anything in his hands yes. is a deadly weapon. His father taught him how to kill from the moment he was born. <laughs> DC has a lot of those characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. same but different, but not really different. Um, Which I also, I believe, Savant, I believe Savant and Blackguard are also the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, there, there's a, a theory from the, the 1920s, and it's called, what was it, like the 27 plots and 35 plots, something like that. But you look at that uh, compared to any fiction uh, of modern day, and it still applies. Like, there's only so many stories you can tell, and especially in comic books uh, with, uh, I, I don't know, like, like 20, 25 pages uh, an issue, you don't have a lot of time to tell a story. So how do you set up characters? Stereotypes. Or with, with right, very yeah. common tropes to start them out with, and then you, you change them more later on. Oh, the guy with well, glasses, he's probably smart. The guy with well, the long hair, he's a douchebag. No, see that's that's why you do the that's why you do the the nineteen sixties Marvel approach. You just open every comic with a splash page 
this one image where you see all the main characters expressing themselves <laughs> and showing Not all their powers. Not just that, the but time. then that's followed by an asterisk that, that directs you to a different text thing. By issue number 26 to find out what he's talking about. Smiling Stan. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think this movie, even though you do get the bigger scope with the Starro, at the end, I like that the battle is in broad daylight. I think it's kind of different. And that the, the editing style and the, the framing that James Gunn decides to go with in this picture is uh, lets you appreciate the what's going on in the shots and so forth. It's just really good shot composition. It's not overly edited. I would give The Suicide Squad a sequel yes. Thrasher? I am also going to give a sequel, yes. And and this movie, I, I was nervous going into this because I was worried it was going to be watered down James Gunn just because of... But, but you know, DC, to its credit, does seem to give their directors a bit more control over their films. They come out looking less yep. like a, a, a product. Even Although that also means that a lot of the filmmakers will, will make these bizarre choices that somebody should have probably questioned them on. Mm-hmm. But this movie <laughs> won me over. When rat catchers being introduced, and we see like the women, the women's wing of the Bell Reeve uh, Penitentiary, and we see one of the villains is Crazy Quilt. I'm like, well, fuck it. If you dig deep enough to put Crazy Quilt in your movie, mm-hmm. I am on board because that's like, like neck and neck with Polka Dot Man is the Batman villain Crazy Quilt. But there she is. Yeah. Um, but also, oh, and, spe- and I'm surprised we didn't talk about this turn. When the Suicide Squad goes to confront Starro, Amanda Waller's going to kill them all, and one of the yes. members of her support staff, who have been betting on who's going to live or die this whole time, whacks her in the back of the head with the golf club she was using much earlier in the film to knock her out so that they can help the Suicide Squad save the world from the starfish alien. I absolutely love that, and I want to know what what hell she is going to rain down on her support staff for having that happen. Yeah, one of the support staff is played by Steve Agee, who's a, um, he should be more famous, I think, than he is. He's very funny. He's a very, a super tall guy. I uh, saw him perform at some comedy festivals out here once. And he he had a a recurring uh, supporting role as a friend on the Sarah Silverman show. Oh, yeah, he was really good. Interesting. Also did mocap in this movie for um, King King Shark. Shark. Yep. Nice. Cool. Or Nanawe, or is that the... Well, th- there have Anyhow. been multiple King Sharks, just as there have been multiple Crazy Quilts and a number of other characters. So, yeah, yeah this this version, they were going with the one where he's like kind of a, a demigod of the ocean from Hawaii. But there are other versions of King Shark where he's like a guy who like got injected with shark DNA. But he made his a debut in a Superman, or Superboy comic, excuse me, uh, after the death and return of Superman. Yeah, he's a more recent character. Yeah, Not like Crazy yeah. Quilt, who made his first appearance in uh, 1946. Also in the background is Calendar Man. So, Created oh by Jack God. Kirby, by the way. Uh, yes, and uh, there you go. Um, so do you give this a sequel yes, Thrasher? Oh, yeah, sequel yes. Okay, uh, Alex. Yeah, uh, definite sequel yes. Uh, leaps and bounds uh, better than its predecessor, and I, I, I had a great time watching this start to finish. It was not to evoke a cliche. It was, uh, it was just a lot of uh, thrills and spills and laughs. Um, I would love to see these guys at it again or the surviving members at it again. So 
I uh, yeah, definitely quiescent. And I'd like to see more from this Suicide Squad. I have to ask you, Alex, did you make your girlfriend suffer through both of these or just this one? Just the first, just this one. And, and <laughs> what did, did she like it? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Because I, I showed it to Havana and she doesn't like gore as much as I do. And I'm more of a gore hound. And, and she preferred the first one, actually. Interesting. So yeah. Was, it's uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, not a attract thing here. Uh, yeah, we're both fans of uh, blood and guts and <laughs> in, in any screen mayhem. So. There you go. All right. So, do you want to do pitch a sequel, Thrasher, or? Uh, sure. Why not? Why not? Okay. So, so I, I, I suppose. Yeah. Go on. So I, I, I kind of want to go nuts, but I also kind of want to wipe the slate clean. Um, I want to do. Uh, I want. I want to. I want to wipe the slate clean, and I kind of want to make. Want to make it both a sort of a, a race and a heist film. So we're gonna have a whole new team of villains. And by God, I am definitely going to include Crazy Quilt among my uh, among my my list of, of low ranking characters. I, I want to have a I want to have Crazy Quilt. I want to have the cowboy hero who I will also have played by uh, Nathan Fillion, who played him in the animated series the Vig uh, the vigilante who has quite literally been arrested for vigilantism, even though what he was doing was saving lives and fighting villains. Um, and so this this other team of goofball uh, characters. So in this one, short version is it's going to take place in the aftermath of what's going to like look like the greatest Justice League film ever made. Like they found like they the Justice League defeated like the war world. Mongol came with the war world and the Justice League defeated him. And the short of it is some ultimate weapon from the war world uh, fell to Earth during this fight. And so it's a race between the Suicide Squad, who's been sent out to recover this doomsday weapon for Amanda Waller and Argus and the U.S. government, versus the heroes who are also trying to find this weapon so that they can find it and destroy it. So uh, we will learn how these heroes and villains are similar, how they're different. Uh, and it'll be a kind of a fun game, a fun game of cat and mouse. But the people searching for this weapon aren't going to be like your big heroes, like like Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. They're going to be a bit lower tier. So it would be like Hawkman and the Question, people who could work with the Justice League and be part of the Justice League, but who aren't your top tier characters. Because I want the heroes to be a little goofy as well. Um, and in the end, they are going to find this Doomsday weapon, but the Doomsday weapon is going to turn out to be a living organism. Like it's it's a living being with the power to destroy a planet. Uh, and it basically ends with the whole with the heroes and the villains preventing it pre presenting a moral argument to convince this planet destroying being not to destroy the Earth. And what would you call it? Uh, I'm I'm going to call it. The Suicide Squad, the, which is English for the German Die Suicide Squad, die. <laughs> Actually, maybe Die Suicide Squad, die is the better name. Yeah, Die Suicide Squad, die. That's good. Uh, a Simpsons reference to the Cape Fear um, episode. Yeah. I would. I think if I would do a uh, sequel to this or a spinoff or something. I would want to do an origin story as much as I don't typically don't like them for Amanda Waller. Cause I think, I think there's something there. She has a lot of anger. Like, where does that come from? What makes her so loyal to the program? What makes her tick? And 
while that was going on, I, I think it would maybe dovetail uh, and double as an origin story for um, the Joker and Harley Quinn and maybe somehow tie all that together. Maybe uh, early in her career, Amanda Waller has to observe the, the Joker being interrogated and it'd be almost sort of like uh, like a Silence of the Lambs uh, tone going on. Yeah. I'm sorry, Joe. I I want a nice Shianti. Um, I would do. I would call it the. Uh, I would call it the Suicide Squad, the Amanda Waller Chronicles, Part One at the end, just to make it disappoint people when it doesn't isn't successful enough. Maybe we should you start it in volume seven, just make it really confusing. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> volume seven, part two. Would you recast Jared Leto with Christopher Plummer? Oh, I, I see where you're going there. Um, I mean, Christopher Plummer acted in so many movies, they could probably make his CG likeness. So, so why not? Why not make the Joker very aged? Um, make him like an octogenarian. Yes. And. And he, he he's a he's a tough son of a bitch, but he's also old, so that's why he can't get into the physical aspect as much. <laughs> he can't. You, you don't see him do fisticuffs very much, or if he does, he just gets his his clock knocked out. So he, he's more more of a schemer, I think. Yeah. So you'd have a, a CG Christopher Plummer approved by the Plummer Estate as the Joker in this. Excellent. And 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 you have a cameo from the voice actress that originated the role of Harley Quinn. Maybe she gets to play the sister or something of Harley Quinn who dies yeah. in an accident. But yeah, I call it the. I, I'm going to change the title now. Just now, I just thought of it. It's going to be <laughs> the Suicide Squad: Origins of the Origin. <laughs> <laughs> Origin Squad. <laughs> All right, uh, Alex, what's your pitch of sequel? So my pitch of sequel. Um, so turns out we're going to go back to the land of uh, Cor- the beaches of Corto uh, Maltese. And um, it turns out, you know, uh, Weasel is uh, not dead. So he tries to um, get back and uh, he's picked up by a, a charter boat. Um, and then he's killed immediately. And the captain of that boat is none other than Jeffrey Combs, the reanimator. <laughs> turns oh. out the animator has been commissioned by the United States government to set up a shady laboratory <laughs> on the coast of Corto Maltese. And what he does is that he successfully harvests the corpse of the first team. So he gets Savant and Javelin and the detachable kid and basically makes this giant like Frankenstein super monster with a, that has a combination of all of their different powers. And, um, you know, of course, this goes awry. Uh, Waller gets a hold of it and then once again has to dispatch uh, the Suicide Squad minus um, uh, Polka Dot Man. We'll throw in uh, the evil quilt one as, as, as a filler. Crazy Quilt, thank you. I'm bad with the names. And uh, they once again have to go defeat a, uh, you know, Franken monster uh, a la the reanimator. And this will be a reanimator uh, crossover. So it'll be called um, Suicide Squad v. Reanimator Dawn of Butt Stuff, just to be crass. And hey, fun. Gotcha. Jeffrey Combs played the question in uh, Justice League Unlimited. Oh, there you go. Yeah, another another connection. Mm. 
Can you uh, um, refresh my memory? What does the question do? What's his gimmick? So, so do you know? Do you remember uh, Rorschach from uh, The Watchmen? Yes. He's the character that Rorschach is based on. He is a he is a mm. private detective who wears this special face mask that makes it look like he has absolutely no facial features. Uh, and he's sort of an expert in psychological warfare, but he has also, over the years, become much more of a sort of conspiracy nut character, except the conspiracies he investigates turn out to be true. Ooh. About that. Um, Not like the Mel Gibson vehicle conspiracy theory? <laughs> With Patrick Stewart. Ah! With I'm Patrick Stewart, I'm old. And we were mentioning earlier, Taika TT having a small part in the Suicide Squad. He is at one of the things, he, many projects he's uh, juggling right now is wanting to do a Flash Gordon live action movie that harkens closer to the comics. But he's, he's a big fan of the 80s movie. Oh, Something promising. And he's also a Star Wars movie, apparently. How many people get kicked off of Star Wars projects? I have no idea. <laughs> That's kind of their thing now. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, all right. So a uh, bit of a long episode going on to what you're watching. I was watching a, a TV show on um, Hulu. Some people on Twitter were recommending to me for some reason. But um, it's been on for over a decade, but it's it's new to me. I, I sometimes have a hankering for liking shows like Cops and that sort of a thing. And this is related. It's called The First 48. And the gimmick with it is each episode, it's a reality show that follows um, police and detectives. But the gimmick is each episode looks kind of cutting back and forth at two different cases, uh, usually murder cases. And uh, it's like you only, you know, most of the useful evidence you can typically find is within the first 48 hours. And they try to dramatize it with the music and the editing. But I think as far as that kind of trash TV goes, I was watching an episode or two last night when I couldn't sleep. And I think you could do a lot worse than watch something like that. It's a decent show. My my dad watches it a lot, and I've sat, I've watched a few episodes. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's also interesting when um, the people being interrogated uh, by the police know their rights. So they can just say, like, I want a lawyer. And then you don't get anything for 48 hours. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's it, it's something else. And uh, it at least um, makes people kind of aware of the process. Not just, real life crime is never as cut and dry as it is on, like, Criminal Minds or, or any of those TV shows. Oh, I fucking hate Criminal Minds. That show drives me crazy. It <laughs> <laughs> just sucks. I saw, an, I did uh, see a Criminal Minds. Uh, Anna watched, has watched, I think, the whole series a few times now, but she did note to me that Tim Curry was in it. So I did see the two episodes he was on, and he's very good on that show. Um, it was, it's from a while ago, and because of his health, he can only sit in a chair for most of his scenes. Oh, but they the make his teeth look really. He he plays the villain who has a child <laughs> protege, and he has really nasty teeth and and just is really um, disturbing. Even when he's like doesn't have dialogue, just the looks on his face. It, to see him play a character so dark and it's not R-rated because it's network television, but um, Criminal Minds and shows like that get away with a lot, in my opinion. Um, it, it, it it's worth it if you can. I think it was like the end of season four or something. It's fairly early in the run in the series, but it's just uh, very, very creepy. 
So like, I tried to watch a few of episodes of Criminal Minds because for like, a lot of people have said that I resemble uh, Spencer. The, oh, oh, the yes. Kid. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I'll check out this likeness. I mean, uh, I guess I can see it. It sounds a little conceited. But um, I've heard, again, a lot of people tell you something. You're, you're going to want to check it out. So uh, I watched it. And the thing that gets me is that, like, the characters are just so goddamn boring. And it's always, this, yes. this kid is always like, you know, it's like, we found hot wax at the crime scene. And then Spencer's like, there's approximately 38 different thousand varieties of wax candles in the U.S. alone. And 24 of them are sold in this state. It's like, oh, shut up. He's like, you're not a computer. Stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of exposition dialogue. And um, I believe I have this right. The actress that is kind of the on-point person on the computer who's a bit, um, let's say, fuller-figured with the blonde hair and the glasses. In real life, she was mugged at one point uh, walking home after doing the show, and she had uh, such trauma from that, I think she had to get off the show for a little bit. Cause it oh, was that a sucks. Bit close, close to home. That does suck, but, I mean, she ended up okay as far as uh, how things could have gone. But, but yeah. On that um, cheerful note, uh, Thrasher, what are you watching? All right, so going back and trying to watch a lot of old westerns, I'd already watched uh, the original True Grit. So mm. I watched its uh, lesser-known sequel, the 1975 Rooster Cogburn. Yes. With, yeah, with uh, John with Wayne Taylor? and Catherine Hepburn and the roles Excuse they me, were meant to play. Hepburn. Oh, yes. Yeah. It, 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 is it, like, cheesy? It's a pretty old John Wayne at that point, right? Oh, yeah, no, I mean, like, he he's really, really aged into the Rooster Cogburn character more so uh, than than ever. Like, it's 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 a fun victory lap for the character, but it doesn't really reach the same dramatic highs. Like, it, it was it was fairly entertaining, but it's so, it's so weird because the whole the whole the whole thing is once again, you know, he's on the trail of a, he's on the trail of a guy who used to be his deputy when he was briefly a lawman has now turned into a criminal. So he is dispatched to track this guy down and bring him to justice. But accompanying him is the uh, is the daughter of a missionary who, the, unfortunately, the, the bad guy killed her father and massacred uh, the, the indigenous tribe that they were living with uh, at the time. And so it's, it's you know, this the rough and tumble, cussing, drinking, fighting uh, Rooster Cogburn with this woman who's sort of purer than pure, but really quick like they really do portray her as like a competent frontiers woman which is really great but when it comes time to murder people she turns to murder real fast like it really does seem out of character for her but really the whole heart of the movie is them just kind of sniping back and forth but it turns into flirting in a really unearned way at one at, at one point and what's the age difference i th- I don't know what the age difference of the character. Well, that's the funny thing is like the character is written like she could probably be in her twenties, but it's an older Catherine Hepburn, so she almost appears to be the same age as her father uh, when the when the father when the missionary dies. It's so it's really strange. Like I, I feel I feel like in practice she's about the same age as Rooster Cogburn, frankly. <laughs> But like it is entertaining, mm. entertaining. There's some fun uh, Western action. I love, <clears throat> I love that the villains, the villains have hijacked a United States government shipment of nitroglycerin, which is meant for the army to use in a bank heist. 
but they never get to that bank heist. Like we never, get, <laughs> we never get that moment. We just see the the wagon full of nitroglycerin change hands several times. There's some fun. There's a fun bit with the Gatling gun that they assemble uh, that is also stashed on the same wagon. So like, yeah, it's it is it is entertaining, but it's not really the sequel that True Grit deserves if you're going to give that movie a sequel. And it also begins with a whole lot of like, you know, wash. Oh, you're letting criminals get away because you didn't do things by the book. Oh, it's like it's. It's, it's the, like it opens with this big argument against due process and it never really refutes that argument. <laughs> it is not a movie that is on. while it is a movie that is on the side of justice. It is not a movie that is on the side of due process. And that unfortunately is a problem. Yeah. Weird. I've always meant to, to see that one. In fact, the only um, true grit I've seen is the, the remake by the, the Coen brothers. Which, which is, is quite uh, it's a pretty good flick. I always enjoyed it. Yes, and I was quite surprised to see Matt Damon play a character that starts whipping a woman because I haven't seen that in a film in a long time. But well, you're not watching the right films. There's some German. I, I, uh, I, I, that's I right. Yes, uh, did look up some old Jonathan Demi films. Uh, anyhow, oh, actually, something um, I do want to point out. So, yes. uh, Richard uh, Romancito, who is a, a Native American actor, plays uh, the young the young man Wolf, who's also from the same indigenous community where the missionaries were living. Like he sticks with this movie. Like it's it's great to see a western where they actually have a Native American character that gets to be a real character and do stuff. Which that mm. that I did find very refreshing. I like that a lot. Cool, um, Alex. What have you been watching? I watched the um, the name and only sequel to Lucio Fulci's Zombie or Zombie Two, um, Zombie <laughs> Three. Very cleverly titled. Um, this was kind of like an infamously troubled production. Uh, Lucio Fulci was not feeling so hot. There was co-directed by Bruno uh, Mattei and um, another dude, um, something, uh, Fragasso, I believe is his name. Um, it's kind of a glorious mess. Um, but what's interesting, though, is that this might be one of the first fast zombie movies, is that these guys tear ass, and they also uh, throw around some machetes and shit. Um, it's got the requisite gross, grimy, bubbly, goopy fucking violence you would get in a Lucio Fulci film, which is kind of what you're there for. Um, it's really off the walls and super violent and just kind of odd. It's a very strange film. Um, definitely on something of a uh, Lucio Fulci kick and something we might be actually might, we'll be able to cover on the sequel cast too because this is technically a sequel oh um, yeah 19, 1988 I mean yeah for considering how much the press at the at least the US press at the time was saying that the first time they ever saw Fast Zombies was in uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake right yeah when Fast Zombie 3 Zombies go back go back to at least 1985's Return of the Living Dead that too, yeah, definitely, because the the yellow the yellow man is pretty damn fast. And also, I think uh, Zombie Three does have some oh a little homage to it because there is kind of like an ecological message that like the rain absorbs the the uh, smoke of the burnt zombies, and that's what causes the actual zombie outbreak in this. Well, that's so. also Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah, that's the connection exactly. So I definitely owe something to that, I feel. Um, interesting movie, not perfect, far from perfect, but if you're a Fulci fan, or if you like goopy, gross zombie movies, check it out. It's interesting, I'm, I'm doing some re- some uh, pre-search, I suppose, here, and I did not realize, depending on the title, uh, the true Zombie 3 came out before Zombie 3, 
and it was released under the name After Death, but also under the name Zombie 4 After Death. Oh, yeah, the whole thing thing with all these Italian joints. Yes, and and there's a Zombie 5 Killing Birds, but also just under the (laughs) title Killing Birds. I mean, yeah, the multiple title thing is very common with these Italian uh, films. Another connection to uh, the Suicide Squad, that bird dies at the beginning, and then that cage full of parakeets gets set on fire. There you go. I know, yeah. A lot of uh, animal violence. Uh, I wasn't a fan of that, but that's right. Okay. Very cool. So let's uh, wrap this up with the sequel scene. This has... So this this particular scene, like so, so many of the best runs of dialogue appeared in the trailer, so I didn't want to use that. So this is... Uh, so this is Good when characters. Harley Quinn makes makes her daring escape from the El Presidente's compound. She does that as the rest of the team is about to break in to rescue her. And there's this great deflating moment where they're counting down to when it's go time. And then Harley Quinn just shows up. So we got Rick Flag, Harley oh, Quinn, yeah. uh, and Bloodsport uh, in this scene. Can I play Harley Quinn? Certainly. Okay. Can I play Rick Flag? Okay, I'll do Bloodsport. All right, let's go. I'm Rick Flag. Fire on three, two. What are you guys doing? I'm Rick Flag. You, we're here to save you. You were going to save me? I'm Rick Flag. I was a really good plan too. Well, I, I, I could go back inside, and you can still do it. That's Pythonizin. What's with the javelin? I'm waiting for God to tell me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, or him, or any of them, really. So, if I, so uh, Rick Flagg doesn't <laughs> say his own name a lot in the movie. Don't worry about that. That was an embellishment. Also, Matt, once again, all your impressions turn into Woody Allen. <laughs> they either turn into Woody Allen or William Shatner. I agree. <laughs> With the exception of uh, uh, Christopher Lee, which I think might be my one actually uh, passable and, impersonation. And Tim Curry. Uh, the Tim Curry's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if Harley Quinn was Christopher Lee, it might sound a little something like this. Well, I could go back inside, and you can still do it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. On that I'm note. I'm holding a javelin. I'm oh, that javelin's so large, it lets do the pickle song, yes. All right. <laughs> Such a lovely color, so nice and round and fat. I've never seen a javelin grow quite as large as that. Oh, what a beauty. I've never seen one as big as that before. <laughs> I'm on, on that note. I, I endorse this javelin. <laughs> okay, so um, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T- Dot com. Buy my books at matwbt.com. I have a, a short story collection coming out called Here's Mud in Your Eye and Other Short Stories. So it took me a bit of time to, to work on that. So I'd be excited for people to, to check that one out. It'll have an audible version uh, coming soon, not read out loud by me, thank God, because I can't do accents too well. Um, and I'll have to delete that because I just got hired for someone else's audiobook. Um, <laughs> just, just, it's, it's, it's like a Woody Allen impression reads the whole story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, it, it is actually from a, a, um, a, a Jewish-themed uh, short stories, as it turns out. But anyhow, oh. yeah. So uh, I'll have to cut all that shit out. God damn it. 
Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T or get past episodes of the show at, at, the show at sequelcast2.com and uh, leave us a nice review at the Apple Podcast app. All that stuff helps with our rankings. Uh, Thrasher. All right, so my social media is still in flux, but uh, if you go to Kickstarter, uh, the uh, At the Shrine of Authorist Kickstarter is still going on. It is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign being published by Skirmisher Publishing, LLC, and I am the official cartographer for this book. So if you want to support me, back this Kickstarter, a number of the stretch goals will mean I get commissioned to produce new maps for side quests and for special encounter areas. So check it out, At the Shrine of authoris on kickstarter authoris is spelled o-t-h-r-y-s and by commission you mean you get packages of honey roasted peanuts i have no idea what that's in reference to but it will mean i will get paid uh, a, a decent amount to draw more maps very good and alex I'm Rick Flagg. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Rick Flagg, and I also host a podcast, the I am the Rick Flagg podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you, can, you can follow me on Twitter at Crab Nebula1914, and I also have a YouTube channel that's uh, occasionally cool and usually awesome. It's called The Trailer Project. Uh, there's trailer commentaries, and I recently posted a video uh, musing over the uh, upcoming Clint Eastwood film Cry Macho. And it's uh, tangential connections to Clint's directorial debut, Play Misty for Me. But you have to go there and watch it to find out. You know, Cry Macho uh, has been trying to be made by several people, one of which was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. But then the uh, scandal of his affair uh, in Child Out of Wedlock with his maid uh, came out. Hmm. So I will not cry macho, it. I just have to cry alimony. Yeah, I think in, in, in the long term, uh, that was uh, probably for the best, but... Yeah. Who knows? Schwarzenegger's been doing some small budget things and some big budget things, and he doesn't really need to work uh, if he doesn't want to. But, oh well. Well, both both Arnie and Clint have served political offices. And Clint is 91 years old. I know. Chipping away at a film a year. That's quite. um, I admire his uh, uh, output. Yeah, definitely. Or at least the cadence of it. Great. So uh, next time we'll be starting our look at uh, The Shining. We had to do this kind of a Suicide Squad side thing um, just because it was going to expire on HBO Max and it's a bit more contemporary. But yeah, we'll be looking at The Shining, uh, all three episodes of the Mick Garris Shining miniseries from the late 90s and uh, Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining based off the novel also called Dr. Sleep. For sequel two, this is Matt. And this is Rick Flag. And this is Rick Flag. Same. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks and somebody said I had to eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problemo. I'm Rick Flag. I think all the kids should brush their teeth. Oh my god, we're gonna fight a starfish. I have a tattoo with that as my tramp stamp. I'm Rick Flag and I wanna see more. (laughs) 